Hello and welcome to the Daily Texan Newscast. I'm Zeke Fritz. And I'm Hannah Willard. This week on the newscast, we have a report about campaign prep for Executive Alliance. It's Friday, March 2nd, 2017, and the news is next. Under the glowing tower Thursday night, the Election Supervisory Board made an important announcement to a crowd gathered on the main mall. Runoffs are coming. The campus-wide elections for student body president and vice president started February 15th between three Executive Alliance tickets consisting of Isaiah Carter and Sidney O'Connell, Alejandrina Guzman and Mickey Wolf, and Blake Burley and Robert Guerrera. The Carter, O'Neill, and Guzman-Wolf tickets will have a runoff election starting next Wednesday, March 8th at 8 a.m. and lasting until March 9th at 5 p.m. The Guzman-Wolf ticket received 4,098 votes and 39.11% of the vote. The Carter-O'Neill campaign received 345 votes and 32.87% of the vote. And the Burley-Guerrera campaign received 2,831 votes and 27.1% of the vote. However, at 5.47 p.m., a little over an hour before the election announcements, student body presidential candidate Blake Burley received an email from the ESB regarding a Class D violation for failing to submit financial disclosures on time. Burley said his team is not planning to file an appeal to the ESB for the disqualification. A U.S. District Court judge heard arguments Tuesday over whether a Texas law requiring government-issued identification to vote is discriminatory but without U.S. Department of Justice's backing. The U.S. Attorney General Jeff Sessions reversed the department's position under the previous administration Monday, saying the state legislature should have time to change its law before court proceedings decide whether it is discriminatory against minorities. Thus, there is no basis for further judicial action at this juncture, when the state is acting to ameliorate the issues raised in this case and has requested reasonable time to do so, the department said in its filing Monday. In 2011, the Republican-majority Texas legislature passed Senate Bill 14, requiring voters to present one out of six forms of government-issued identification, driver's licenses, military IDs, passports, concealed handgun licenses, personal ID cards issued by the Department of Public Safety, and citizenship certificates. The department, under the President Barack Obama administration, sued Texas in 2013, saying the state voter ID law discriminated against those who cannot obtain identification documents. The Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals ruled in 2016 the law discriminated against minorities, but did not find the state's law was written to intentionally discriminate. Texas then temporarily amended the law before last year's November presidential election to include allowing utility bills, birth certificates, and paycheck stubs or government documents with a name and address. People would have to sign an affidavit if they used these forms besides those the state originally required. UT law professor Lucas A. Powell Jr. said the Texas law violates people's right to vote by discriminating against minorities who institutionally have less economic opportunities, which inhibit obtaining licenses. Powell said the plaintiffs will likely win, citing the 15th Amendment, which prohibits state action infringing on the right to vote because of race. Poor people tend not to have driver's licenses because they don't have cars, and blacks and Hispanics are disproportionately poor, Powell said. They don't have passports 
because they're not traveling to foreign countries. Law professor Lino Graglia, who also studies constitutional law, said states have a right to enforce voter ID laws to prevent voter fraud. When you go to vote, they want to see if you are a registered voter or have some other proof that you're entitled to vote, Graglia said. The state can take reasonable steps to prevent voter fraud. They can't do unreasonable things that tend to deter or prevent voting. Last Saturday at 2 a.m., a window of the Texas Hillel building was broken in an act of vandalism currently being investigated by the UT and Austin Police Departments. Texas Hillel, a Jewish student center located on San Antonio Street in West Campus, organizes social activism and community events for UT's Jewish population. UTPD, APD, and university administrators are currently investigating whether the vandalism was specifically meant to target the Jewish community, said Margot Sack, director of Jewish Student Life at Texas Hillel. We hope swift action is taken to hold those responsible to account, Texas Hillel said in a statement to the Daily Texan. We continue to work with our campus and community partners to ensure all Jewish students feel safe and welcome on campus, and that incidents like this do not happen again. Texas Hillel is here to engage and connect with any students or faculty who are impacted by this incident, and we welcome members of our community to join us in developing proactive ways to process and address these issues. History junior Rachel Sassine serves as the engagement chair on the Student Executive Council at Texas Hillel. Sassine said the Jewish community on campus should remain united regardless of the intent of the vandalism. I'm appalled at the act of violence against the place where I and fellow students spend hours every day, Sassine said in an email. These acts of intimidation are unfortunately not new to Jewish students and do not frighten us. I continue to stand firm in my Jewish identity and refuse to live in fear. UT President Gregory Fenves released a statement regarding the weekend's incident, citing last week's town hall on campus. I am extremely troubled by the vandalism at Texas Hillel, Fenves said. The university will assist Austin police as they investigate and determine whether this was an act of hate against Jewish students. As the UT community made clear at last week's town hall, acts of hate, whether posters targeting Muslims and immigrants or a rock thrown at Hillel, have no place here. We will do everything we can to support our students who are affected by this. Geological Sciences senior Brian Brockstein serves on the Texas Hillel Board of Directors as well as on Texas Hillel's Student Executive Council as a leadership chair. Brockstein said Texas Hillel's student community is not letting the incident affect the organization's regular operations. We are not intimidated and are moving forward with all of our regularly scheduled programming, Brockstein said in an email. The support we have received has been tremendous and we are extremely grateful, especially for that from the university and President Fenves. The investigation is still ongoing. On Tuesday, high school senior Rocio Ramirez tearfully told a large crowd at the Capitol her father was deported two weeks ago. I'm just here to show people to not give up and to keep on fighting because I don't want any other family to go through what I am going through, Ramirez said. At 9.30 a.m., protesters outside City Hall held signs challenging Senate Bill 4, which would strip funding for sanctuary cities, or those with policies protecting undocumented immigrants. The bill passed the Senate earlier this month and has yet to be assigned to a House committee. Many, like Maria Robles, an Arlington resident, came from all over the state to encourage the House, which is yet to vote on SB4, to kill the bill. Robles drove three hours to fight for her undocumented husband. He doesn't drive anymore, Robles said. It's scary to think that if he goes to the store or picks up one of our kids from school, he could be taken away.
Several buses dropped off high school and college activism groups from across the state. Sandra Elias, a sophomore from Lone Star Community College, came with about 100 other students who are a part of immigration rights organizations in Houston. It is not campus police's job to turn undocumented immigrants over to federal agents, Elias said. We don't want this bill to cause these students to be in fear of going to school. With that happening, students will not go to school and the schools will lose funding, Elias said. State Senator Chris Turner, a Democrat from Arlington, said he will defend the DREAM Act, which allows undocumented students to stay in the U.S. to finish college. We're going to do everything we can to fight to make sure our college campuses are safe places for all students, that the DREAM Act is preserved for all our dreamers across the state, and to make sure that people understand that Texas is stronger together than it is when we're divided, Turner said. Rocio Ramirez told the Daily Texan how federal ICE agents deported her father after he was released from prison. Ramirez, who is in the top 10% of her class, said she will focus on her education despite the adversity. I'm going to continue studying, and hopefully I get a job so I can help out my mom, Ramirez said. I continue studying because what he came here for was for us to have a better life than he had. Plans for the UT system's heavily criticized Houston expansion have come to an end. In a memo to the Board of Regents Wednesday, UT System Chancellor William McRaven said his decision to cancel the 300-acre expansion was based on concerns the development would overshadow work done at the other 14 UT System institutions. I accept full responsibility for the lack of progress on this initiative. I am grateful to the Regents, my system staff, and to the university presidents for their engagement over the last year, McRaven said in a memo to Board of Regents Chairman Paul Foster. At a news conference, McRaven continued to emphasize the work done at the other 14 institutions when pressed with questions on why he chose to end his plans. UT System Regent Kevin L. Tyfe said McRaven made the best decision because of the issues that are not addressed at other UT institutions. I would just applaud what he's done today because I think it's the right move for the system, L. Tyfe told the Daily Texan. All of the institutions have needs that are not met, and we need to meet those needs before we ever embark on a project, especially a project of this size. McRaven said that he was not able to get state legislators behind his decision to pursue the expansion. The system's Houston Advisory Task Force, created by McRaven in January of last year to provide recommendations for the land, sent a report to McRaven earlier this week with ideas for a data institute focused on health care, energy, and education. McRaven said he hopes to see some of these ideas implemented at other UT institutions and will send the report to the Board of Regents later this week. While there is no timeline, McRaven said the system will continue to protect the investment and work with the city of Houston moving forward. He recommended the Board of Regents consult with the real estate office on ways the system can divest from the land. McRaven did not say whether or not this would include a buyout from the University of Houston system, who has been critical of the lands purchased in the past. Chairman Tillman Fertitta of the UH System Board of Regents told the Daily Texan last month that the expansion is unnecessary because of the lack of funding the state is receiving. The state is facing huge budgetary constraints, and the UT system wants to waste taxpayer dollars on what is clearly an unnecessary duplication of services, Fertitta said. I think many in the legislature see this for what it is. Over the past month, UT students with Voices Against Violence exchanged Skype calls with college students in India to discuss what they can do to prevent interpersonal violence on their campuses. It's a really beautiful learning experience, VAV advisor Lauren White said. 
These exchanges are a great opportunity for seeing what kind of work people are doing to prevent interpersonal violence on an international level. VAV, a program under the UT Counseling and Mental Health Center, focuses on prevention outreach, specifically in interpersonal violence prevention. This includes sexual violence, relationship violence, and stalking, White said. UT alum Greg Pardo came across an article in the university's alumni magazine about the campus climate regarding sexual assault and other forms of interpersonal violence on campus. Pardo, who lives in Calcutta, India, passed on the information to the Calcutta Consulate, which went on to provide a grant to Shakti Vahini, a non-governmental organization that focuses on issues regarding gender-based violence. Shakti Vahini has this one program that brings together college students in India, trains them on how to do work around interpersonal violence awareness, resourcing, and such, White said. On the calls, we really see the different contexts we are working in. In some schools in India, women have curfews while there are none for men. Justin Atkinson, a government and women's and gender studies senior, who is also a masculine UT representative at VAV, said the calls to help VAV gain cultural context about how rape culture is a universal problem. Interpersonal violence, like rape, relationship violence, stalking, is happening in different ways in Texas and India, but the sexism and homophobia that informs that violence is pretty similar, Atkinson said. While there are times during the calls that we need to clarify terminology, there are times when Indian students share stories that sound like something your friend could have told you. By the time you're listening to this podcast, you'll likely already know which Executive Alliance candidates have the privilege of replacing incumbents Kevin Helgren and Bina Kim. Regardless of the result, however, the Carter O'Connell, Wolf Guzman, and Burley Guerra campaigns wouldn't be possible without months of planning and hours of hard work by their campaign staff. While campaign season is a frantic two weeks filled with campaign events, tabling, and countless Facebook posts imploring students to vote, the real work is done in the months leading up to the election, starting as early as last summer. Every decision is crucial and has been through many different incarnations, everything from the seemingly innocuous official colors of the campaign to the central message of each ticket. The journey to the student government executive office begins early, as early as last spring, with running mates and volunteers drafted, platforms crafted over the long planning period. In correspondence via email, Isaiah Carter, a government and plan to junior and candidate for president, said that the earliest stages were dedicated to figuring out what platform they could offer that others couldn't. We started working on the platform last summer, built a team at the beginning of the year, and developed our vision and branding during the middle of the fall, Carter said. Our message and our platform had come pretty easily. We decided to run because we had ideas, so all that meant was writing them down and researching them. The candidates themselves bring a vision that is carried out by their extensive teams. Carter has led his ticket on the slogan, Come As You Are, a message that 40 volunteers are tasked with spreading across the 40 acres. Carter said that this team comes from many backgrounds and relationships with himself and Sidney O'Connell. For members that we recruited to our best friends and roommates, we've been able to have a large variety of perspectives to inform this message, Carter said. Each campaign's central message comes from their own unique inspirations. For the Carter-O'Connell ticket, Come As You Are came as a result of a single brainstorming session, and the slogan just came to them. 
We talked about what we wanted to see and how we wanted students to feel, Carter said. Someone was talking about how inclusive their church made them feel when they were growing up because the attire was always come as you are. Once she said that, it clicked with all of us. For the Burley Guerra campaign, messaging wasn't so simple. Government senior Sammy Minkowitz, campaign manager for Blake Burley and Robert Guerra, said that it took their campaign months to determine messaging and a platform after consulting many voices and perspectives across campus. That probably took a few months, honestly. That took, you know, after talking to a bunch of people and really, you know, just talking about it a bunch, it kind of helped us figure out exactly what it was that we were trying to say. Another important factor for each Executive Alliance ticket was finding past campaigns that they could learn from. For Burley Guerra, Minkowitz said that the most impactful lessons she learned about running a campaign came from races on other campuses across the country, as well as the personal experiences of her staffers. I have some friends at other schools that I've been talking to more. Um, at USC and A&M, I have some friends there that have won their elections. So we've been asking them a little bit, but a lot of the time it's just, you know, our own experiences being what has worked for us in past elections and asking the people on our team, you know, what's worked for you, what hasn't worked, what would you like, you know, what do you, what sold you on someone in the past that, you know, will help sell Blake and Robert as well. For Carter, the current student government chief of staff, his time as a staffer in the campaign of Kevin and Bina served as a major inspiration for how he wanted his campaign to run. Honestly, I don't think I would have done this if I was not a part of Kevin and Bina's campaign last year. This was a machine with so many different parts, Carter said. I appreciated how proactive Kevin and Bina's team was and how genuinely hard they worked. There were things that I loved, like their calm leadership, even when I knew how tired and stressed they were. Minkowitz noted that the greatest challenge of any campaign is getting students to care, with midterms, personal lives, and general apathy all as roadblocks to passionate support of a candidate, each campaign has to figure out their way to convince people to vote. Um, it's a lot harder to get people at the table than I expected because everyone has class and it just happens that this is midterm season. So on top of it all, I have midterms and my midterm got moved around. So, you know, I thought I'd be able to be more available on certain days when I wasn't. Um, and I think, you know, everyone has their busy lives too. And as much as they all love the campaign, you know, school's got to come first for everyone. Um, and, you know, that, that's tough to work with, you know, being a student and running this campaign. We reached out to the Wolf Guzman campaign on Facebook, text message, and email, and were unable to receive a comment. Across UT, candidates have fought hard, with videos, posters, t-shirts, and even puppies trying to convince individuals to vote. While the campaigns will quickly be forgotten, a winner will be crowned and the losers will fade to the background, what should not be forgotten is the hard work that got these candidates where they are to being some of the most prominent and important Longhorns on a campus of 51,000, if only for two weeks. For the Daily Texan Newscast, I'm J.T. Lindsay. And that's it for this week's edition of the Daily Texan Newscast. In the meantime, there is always more news at DailyTexanOnline.com. You can also find the Daily Texan on Twitter, at the Daily Texan, in this and our other podcasts at Texan Podcasts. You can also subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Just search for The Daily Texan. Be sure to tune in next week. Bye, guys. This podcast was produced by The Daily Texan and hosted by Zeke Fritz and myself, Hannah Willard. Our reporter was JT Lindsay. The music was by Jazal. Be sure to tune in next week for our next episode, and you can always find more news at DailyTexanOnline.com.